You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show going to be doing the 2006 The Last Winter. Pretty good, because I'm already chilly. No, I'm freezing. <laughs> just thinking about You got this. a big blanket over you. I got a blanket over me. I got slippers on. I you, had to crank the heat up before we recorded. You're cuddling a hot coffee. I'm cuddling a hot coffee like my life depends on it. <laughs> this is terrifying shit. You know, we're, this is a horror movie podcast. To date, we have not done one scary film, but here we go. I am shaking in my boots. And it's not just because of the cold. It is a little chilly out today. I will give you that this... Technically speaking, is your birthday request. This is my birthday request. Now, when you had told everybody about what you'd be planning for your birthday, when we had no plans, we were fire and blind, generally speaking, you alluded to the theme of clowns. But instead, and listeners wouldn't know this, but an hour after we talked about that on the show, we were actually planning what we were going to be doing, and you just kiboshed it instantaneously, and you wanted to do a winter film. And I still do love clown films, and there probably will be some clown films coming up, but we started talking about winter and Christmas and what to do for Christmas movies, and we chose a Christmas movie, and then we worked backwards from that a little bit, and I realized how terrified I was of the cold. Mm. I, it's, this is not a new thing. I am very terrified of the cold. And we were talking about... Things like The Shining and The Thing and things that we do watch around winter that aren't necessarily Christmas films, but are about this, the terror of the cold, real winter horror. And we just did Crimson Peak, which isn't necessarily a, a Christmas film, but it's a Christmas ghost story, as we covered. Mm-hmm. And that led to me to thinking about snowy winter movies. And this, The Last Winter is a movie I've been trying to track down for about three years. I caught it on Netflix quite randomly, and it disappeared from Netflix right after that, it seemed. And I've been trying to find it since. And I'm not a physical copy type girl. So I was looking for it on VOD. I was looking for it on another streaming service. I was looking for it all over the internet and reluctantly did end up having to buy a copy. And even so, trying to find a fucking copy of it wasn't easy either. So I did end up with a copy of The Last Winter, and this is a... Larry Fessenden film, and it's written, directed, produced by Larry Fessenden of Glass Eyed Picks. Mm. And he had been the spearhead of the video game Until Dawn, which Chris bought for me not long ago, knowing I would love it because I've been really fascinated by Inuit myths and First Nations myths. And there's not as many of them as popular as they should be. And it has a lot to do with the storytelling traditions of First Nations. And a lot to do with just our cultural blindness, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. whenever you say, you know, Aboriginal or First Nations myths, the first thing that comes to mind is Wendigo. And that's yeah. it. And that's where it ends. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. we don't understand there is a plethora of monsters 
straight up monsters. And they have versions of mermaids that are fucking terrifying. Yeah. Mo- yeah. Much more like the original Siren. Yeah. Like, they have different cannibalistic deities. They have um, deities that have a lot to do with laughter. And there's a a scene in this film later on that reminds me a lot of these laughing monsters Mm -hmm. that they have. Fascinating shit that is just a whole new world to me. And then, but then bring it right back to Wendigo, the most popular of the evil spirits. The video game Until Dawn has a lot of the same feeling. You're trapped in fucking freezing cold and it's isolation and there's something after you, swing in the woods. Same sort of feeling as the last winter. So upon playing that game, I just wanted to watch this movie so badly all over again. And I do watch The Thing pretty much every single winter. And it has that horrible isolation, freezing cold feeling for me. And I'm very terrified of the cold because I have Raynaud's disorder mm-hmm. where I could easily lose all feeling in my hands when it's plus 10 out let alone mm. minus 20 it's actually pretty freaky i mean your your uh, fingers turn blue and this is not a mild blue gang the, uh, her fingers turn and toes i've never seen the toes but i've seen the fingers they'll turn black almost yeah. and it looks like they're about to fall off it's scary and yeah. it's not that cold out so this isn't like old your old pal the west keeper is afraid of the woods because I'm kind of a pussy. It's it, you have a fear because it's like your superhero weakness. It's your kryptonite. It will kill you. Gangrene is a very real fear for somebody who has this. Um, and you can get an attack by having a stressful day. You can have an attack by eating, uh, not eating enough and not having enough uh, calories to keep your internal temperature up. Touching produce in a cold grocery store can turn my fingers white. So if I'm out there in minus 20 weather, even with skidoo mitts and heated gloves and I have heated insoles for my boots, I'll still end up with black toes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very terrifying. So if I were stuck in the cold, if I were stuck in a situation like they get stuck in in the last winter or the thing or anywhere where you're going to be cold... It doesn't matter how much protective gear I have on, I could, I'm could. i still very susceptible to gangrene because all of the nerve endings sort of spasm and freak out and they won't deconstrict. They'll all constrict and they, they cut off all the blood supply and they stay cut off. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking terrifying. I'm it is. It is. It's not a fucking joke. So watching there's scenes in the last winter where i just cringe and it could be oh, the yeah. opening scene where they're just showing how cold and bleak alaska <laughs> is yeah i was kidding around when we first went and we were watching the film this is the first time i've ever seen it and i said oh this is just 90 minutes of nature shots of the alaskan tundra and that's your horror movie <laughs> something that national geographic just shot yeah yeah <laughs> watch the um werner herzog version of the one that he does about lava is nice for me i love that (laughs) film because i could watch hot lava spilling out of a mountainside all day long but if he does one on the uh, arctic i wouldn't build maybe march of the penguins that's like a horror movie for you oh god (laughs) (laughs) see yes there are scenes in this that make me cringe and things like and i was only half kidding about like why are they putting this in a movie Wes? why are they making me watch this which i guess is the same reaction that some people have to like very brutal eviscerations yeah yeah, absolutely. If you're, you know, there's somebody that's sitting down watching 
hostile that is cringing because they're just saying, oh, my God, why? Or some of the shorts in ABCs of Death, it, those can be, oh, my God, why are we watching this? And then you're sitting there happy as a clam because that's your jam. I rhymed. And then you turn on this and it's just a, a still image of a very low thermometer and you're, ah! <laughs> it's terrifying. It is. I'm excited about this film and having just watched it because this is what it's all about, Lids. This is what it's all about. This is why I got into reviewing films. I, listen, I love going back to my old standards, my old classics, and I love showing you horror movies. I, I mean, you've seen a fucking vast majority of them, too. Oh, you just lent me a nice stack of shit that I haven't seen. A little stack so awesome. for, for homework, because I want to see if any of them are for the show. You know what I'm saying? But... um. But this is what I'm talking about. It's, it's the exploration of our hobby, of our interest. And so when I look back at our collection of dead air episodes, I like to be, ooh, because of the show, I watched this movie. Because of the show, I watched this movie. And sometimes, you know, some of the because of the show, I rewatch a movie and then maybe appraise it on slightly different levels where I never would have gone like I never would have gone back to House of a Thousand Corpses ever. I, I I would have been like, nah, I saw that movie. I don't care. So this is a this is a cool find. Because I've never I never even heard of this flick. Which is that's the thing about this movie that makes me sad and why it's like so hard to find. It did work really well on the festival circuit, but that's about it. It mm. didn't seem to do well anywhere else. Yeah. It was one of those rare, weird gems that you find on Netflix and never see again. That's what it mm -hmm. where it was like living and dying, unfortunately. So hopefully there's some sort of uh, interest peaked. I don't know if there's ever going to be a Blu-ray version come out. I don't know. Uh, I would love to see it. Glass Eye Picks isn't unsuccessful by any mm -hmm. means. They uh, distributed Stakeland, super yep. popular. Innkeepers is popular. A little yeah, more Innkeepers. indie, but yeah, yeah, the success of the game Until Dawn. Mm. And they're working on some sort of related sequel to that mm, game. about that. And they did the werewolf film Late Phases. Oh, so, really? Yeah. There's like a lot of... Um, Larry Fessenden has his paws on a lot of different projects, a lot of distribution arms and independent filmmaking. Mm -hmm. He did a film before this called Wendigo that I really need to see because mm -hmm. I just like the way his mind works. I like the way his mind works with these, um, you know, underutilized mythologies. And I like the way his mind works with winter because it terrified the fuck mm -hmm. out of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that after ha having watched this film, having played until dawn, thanks to you uh, tossing me your copy, because I just got a PS4, uh, it, it, it really, the, the guy has a type of story that he's interested in telling, and he'll want to deviate from that, obviously, but when it comes to the winter aesthetic, I think he really... Uh, has something special to offer here. Uh, like you said, especially dipping into the mythology of First Nations people. I mean, I think that that, that is when people are wondering what the next big thing is, well, you know, we, is it going to be mummies again or vampires again or whatever? Let's get some of these things, everything from, like you said, the, the, the weird twist on mermaids to flying heads to more Wendigo stuff. The stiff-legged bear. There's all the, the the black spirits that enter your mind and devour your soul. There are terrifying things that exist in Native American mythology that nobody knows about. And it, you can deliver this 
enlighten people to a, a culture and it'll also seem like a new thing where you can almost not take credit for creating it, but people will be like, oh, I've never seen this before. And we can take a break from some of our classic monsters with pun intended can be a little long in the tooth at this point Mm -hmm. where how many ways can you skin a cat with a vampire well if you take something different and for me because i'm creeped out by the woods a lot of this stuff is discovered while wandering the woods so it doesn't even have to cost you a lot of money to make movies like this it's fucking shoot it in the woods it's the same aesthetic that gave us so many camp slashers right because the woods are right there you just find a forest and point the camera at it yeah, it truly is. And with having, you know, a little more of an information global village that we have now, we're privy to more remote corners of the earth. So we have a better idea of what goes on there. So it makes it like really good homework for creators. We have an idea of what it, what goes on in a pipeline project like this, not only because the Dakota pipelines being in the news and what sort of a global like terror that is to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea is a little more fresh in people's minds. So it's a lot easier to write without having to visit these places, which is Mm -hmm. the lazy armchair way to do it, granted. But Mm -hmm. because of the internet, we can easily see how to position these things and write these things in a really believable way. And that's one thing I don't know if Larry Fessenden uh, has spent a lot of time in Canada. I'd like to make him an honorary Canadian in a lot of ways. Um, But he really seems to understand what what that work ethic is like, what the dress, what the culture is like. Um, I really enjoy the mix of people that he's pulled into this and the mix of mythologies. Like, I've been very interested in trying to not repurpose or repackage or retell old myths, but use it as fodder for my own little brain engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and a fellow author, Stephen Lowe, I'd met at CanCon. I was posed a question on a panel about native mythologies and why they're underutilized. And I didn't really know where to go with that because, of course, my answer was like, well, we're very, very comfortable with the popular Wendigo, but there are, there's got to be other myths. And he enlightened me quite a bit. Anyone else who wants to be similarly enlightened can go to InuitMyths.com and mm. check out some of the cool stories and artwork and monsters that exist in some of our Inuk and other First Nation mythologies uh there's a magazine put put out called pivot and another one that's uh not coming to mind and it's hard to pronounce anyhow uh starts with a t but pivot is a a magazine that's put out by an education initiative in ikaluit to help facilitate the teaching of inuk language inuktitut and another one that i can't remember the name of Mm -hmm. and how that all relates to english and french because they have the four official languages Mm -hmm. I think that so many aspects of horror can be brought forth by talking about forgotten knowledge. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, as white people living in this country, we have an opportunity here to explore what was here before us and what's still around us. And, and, and there's people around us that can, uh, First Nations people that can teach us all that stuff. You know, I went to a the Canadian History Museum, because I have my own ideas for a story that I want to incorporate with the comic book, Teresa, that I'm working on, where I want to explore a lot of these myths and legends that take place in Canada and other areas in North America. But it, it is it is so perfect. And, and sometimes I think people can take for granted the idea of, oh, no, we need to go to the old world to talk about old things, not really realizing that 
there were people here before us and we've paved over a lot of that as we're want to do as a, as a culture. And, and I think so it's just ripe. It's, it's, it's there, it's here, it's all around us. And it's a shame that more people aren't utilizing it, not just the Wendigo, but anything. No, and I've never, I've lived here all my life. I've never been blind to like say Algonquin culture or Mm -hmm. Inuit culture. I'm, I'm certainly not blind to that. And I've spent time, um, gathering sweet grass and i know i've i've spent time in tp i know people that have gone into sweat lodges and considered doing so myself uh, from time to time so then to be told about all these myths that are completely off of my radar mm-hmm. like mahaha the tickler was mm-hmm. the one that stephen had first mentioned about this creature that attacks you and you can hear it coming by the laughter and it tickles you to death until your guts split open and then yeah. it feasts on the insides yeah. or what How great you. is that? It's amazing. And the the vision, uh, like what this thing looks like is, is terrifying. It's all fucking doubly terrifying to me because it's all happening in the fucking frozen tundra. So yeah, <laughs> very scary on many levels to me. But... Instead, no, we're all steeped in old ghost stories from England, which, mm-hmm. I mean, considering we just did Crimson Peak, that's not all bad, I, sure. I, I love those stories, and every time people make those stories, I'm interested and I love them. But I also am in a position where I want more things, more yeah. different kinds of things, and I love to have the old English ghost stories, but there's also, it's just an untapped vein that no one seems to be trying to dip into in a demonstrable way. I know a lot of people who are very intelligent, educated people who only first heard of a Wendigo or the concept of a Wendigo because of the Hannibal TV show, because mm-hmm. that became, you know, I would look at it, the images from the, the, the show lithographs and of iconography and i was always curious why why do they keep depicting him with antlers i didn't understand and then i thought i wonder if it's a wendigo reference because he eats people and of course it was Mm -hmm. and and so that brought it to the forefront of a lot of people's attention and then you you get a video game like until dawn can expand people's concepts of it even further and it's and you could probably say, oh, it's just you know what I'm saying. Like one thing bleeds into another. You have a, a big video game that comes out, and then you had a popular TV show that was in everyone's consciousness. So I'm saying we can get the ball rolling more into that direction. But and as much as I would love more Wendigo stories, it also could be time to do other things with it too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird to me that that would be someone's first um, introduction to the Wendigo mythology mm-hmm. when it's something that, you know, you tell like a like a boogity man story when you're kids. <laughs> like, at least among me and my friends, we definitely knew what a Manitou was and we definitely knew what a Wendigo was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Nadeau is just a general devil spirit name, too. And a friend of mine was often called that by her father, mm-hmm. which is... You know, an Iroquois word, I, th- I believe, mm. or an Ojibwe word. I think it's probably Ojibwe. Oh, okay. So, like, that sort of stuff wasn't wasn't new to me. So it's interesting that would be what would put it in the forefront. Things within the last 10 years, let alone the last couple years. Yeah. But. And, and it's interesting. It should be palatable to people because one of the things that I love so much about myths and legends is the fact that every culture has them. And there's 
parallels between so many of them. Why every culture has things like vampires, why every culture has things like ghosts, and why every culture has things like lycanthropy. Uh, not necessarily changing into wolves, but people changing into something. S- something. Yeah. So uh, uh, th- there is, there is. Uh, so I don't even think that you, trying to pitch something to somebody or writing in a comic book or a novel or a novella or however you want to do it, I don't think that it, like, oh, this is going to blow people's minds. No, but it'll be a twist on something that they're vaguely familiar with. And like you said, and we've said repeatedly, some of this shit was fucking terrifying. I used to write stories about monsters when I was a kid. I wasn't the best student in class, and to try to get the reins on me, they would let me write stories. And so I would go down to the library, and I would take monsters, monster books, and I would read up on them, and then I would take the monsters from the books that I liked. So like, if it was Bigfoot or, or the Loch Ness Monster, or in one case, uh, 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 I can't remember the name of it, but it was this Native American spirit that was cadaverous. He almost looked like a zombie. And what it did was wander the woods somewhat aimlessly when it came across hunters or warriors or whatever, it would cut their hearts out and eat them. And there was this picture in the book that had him holding a heart and it looked so creepy. It was almost in a scary tales fashion, almost like a watercolor. And I would copy that image into my books at school. And then I would keep drawing that thing. And I wish I've Googled it since then, but I can't seem to find out precisely what it was, but it sounds like a, 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 a few different spirits, but I can't, t- I would need that book in front of me again mm-hmm. to see exactly what it was. So I don't know if my old elementary school still has it, but hopefully you can find it. And in my searching, if I assemble upon anything like it, I'll definitely let you know. And if anyone out there is listening and knows lots about, you know, Aboriginal and first nations and, any native mythologies that you can think of, mm-hmm. just let us know. Yeah. Let me know, because I need to know. Because <laughs> we're steeped in Old English like cups of poisoned tea. <laughs> and, you know, back to Crimson Peak, a little post-mortem. Uh, we pretty much did cover everything we wanted to. The only thing that slipped through the cracks was at the very beginning, a totally unrelated thing, where Wes had asked me a very important question. <laughs> I don't know how important the question was, but it was definitely something that was on my mind. It was if you found Tom Hiddleston attractive. In that way that, you know, only asking because so many people do go gaga. And and neither Wes or I really ever behave like that about any celebrity whatsoever. So it's always kind of alien to us that people do. Yeah. But you had asked my opinion mm-hmm. quite clearly. And I, of course, answered in a normal Lydia way of like, well, he is not repulsive. Yeah. And very noncommittal. Yeah. Not exactly a glowing endorsement. If you were trying to set me up with somebody and you said they're not repulsive, I might take a pass on that one. But you knew where I was coming from, where, where you know, where and I knew where the question was coming from. It's not that you want to date the guy. No, I'm not interested in dating Tom. Mm-hmm. But uh, I call him Tom. But I did have to backpedal though, because I was like, I just don't really react to celebrities except Peter Steele, <laughs> and I got really ridiculous. About, it's true. Yeah, you were fangirling Steele. a little bit. I had to show you what he looked like. Yeah, I know. I, I couldn't. I couldn't put my finger on it. I. It's. It's interesting. No, I was just curious about that because women. It's. It's like a Benedict Cumberbatch when people. Ladies, men, whoever, go nuts for this dude and think he's so cute. And, you know, whatever. People look like how they look. I just, 
would say that these men to me are not classically handsome. As like I, Peter Steele. Like Peter Steele. Fucking classically attractive right there. Like you had said, he looks like a character Anne Rice has envisioned. Yeah, I know. Just long flowing black hair, big muscles. I'm surprised he wasn't wearing a puffy open pirate shirt. He, there probably are photos. Of was, <laughs> probably. Shirt. The leather pants with just the drawstrings. Which, you know, I my brain is like, I, I don't care about this. This is not attractive. But then you put Peter Steele in it. And I'm like, yes, I get yeah, it now. Yeah. Now it's the cover of the romance novel that you'll write about you dating the ghost of Peter Steele. My God. Speaking of romance, you can go to ID Press and pick up Alucinor, The Element of Romance. My story, Model Hearts, is the third story in. Mm. Yeah. I just sent a newsletter out to my newsletter recipients re- regarding that fact. So I'll just remind everyone that, yeah, I wrote a romance story wonderful that you are creatively spreading your leathery membrane wings it has skeletons in it <laughs> well, there you go. so yeah it's not all bad yeah spreading my leathery wings not unlike a, a flying wendigo but i'm telling you man they go for it in this movie but what's this movie even about it is, uh, like I said, about the terrifying tundra and how horrible and scary the cold really is. And how anyone is bound to go fucking batshit insane in that climate. Yeah. This is the way that you get people. I'm pretty sure that every time that you need to get people isolated in a cold place, it's either some sort of abandoned hunting lodge or most famously, it's one of those outposts. <laughs> it's an outpost. Like just, in The Thing. Yeah, just like know. The Thing. Yeah, this is a, a drilling company they've had for 20 years. They've had this vein of oil capped off. Uh, the Kick Mine. The Kick. I, I guess it's a mine, but it's the Kick test site. It's a drill test site where they were testing for oil. They found oil. 20 years later, they still haven't gotten to this shit because I guess it's just too remote and too hard to get to. So they've been trying to put in ice roads and having a hard time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mostly, it seems to be due to the climate. It is not cold enough to get these roads going, so they can't really do anything. It must be really weird to be on a project like this where every day you wake up and there's really not a day's worth of work to do. So you end up just sitting around, sipping tea, being bored, trying not to go insane, and just the general maintenance that you would need to just keep everything going. Keep those heaters on, keep the skidoos going. Boiler room, snow cats. Yeah. All work and no play. Makes Homer something something. <laughs> go crazy? <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> and I would go crazy in this because like the, the job requirements for this is must love camping. Must <laughs> be able to tolerate cold and good at math. Things that I just can't handle anymore. Right? So mm-hmm. I, I could see going a little bit stir crazy. And one of them refers to it as big eye. Because not only can you go crazy from the isolation and the boredom. It's the length of days when mm-hmm. you're this close to the pole. So you get something, some sort of insomnia that they refer to at one point in this film as big eye. Yep. Yep. Big eye. They say Maxwell's got big eye. The chilly willies. The chilly willies. I guess it's, it's the opposite of cabin fever. It is, yeah. Yeah. We're introduced to this work crew with the arrival of Ron Perlman's character, Ed. Man, 
this guy knows how to make an entrance. First of all, it's Ron Perlman. So this is a (laughs) big dude that comes in, but he comes in with this really authentic, jovial, hooting and hollering attitude that a lot of tradespeople have. I know that he is, for lack of a better term, the corporate stooge. This is his project, and he's got a lot of suits, you know, a thousand miles south wanting to make sure that this goes off without a hitch and they're not wasting their time and most importantly money. But he comes in and it's just bear hugs and loud noises. Back slaps and here's your smokes and your booze, guys. Who's the man? Yeah, exactly. That changes rather quickly, but for initially you just think, wow, what a friendly what a friendly guy. Everyone gets along. Everyone looks up to him. He appreciates and cares for all of these people. That's your initial Almost. Perception. Almost everybody. Yeah. Because, uh-oh, we got ourselves a dirty Greenpeace hippie in on the mix. A dirty Greenpeace hippie who is also like a lead scientist that send in from an engineering firm to oversee. Mm-hmm. They want to bring in these bigger drill rigs and it's not necessarily safe. So they need an environmental impact assessment mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. which is a very common thing. And a movie like this makes me wonder how many fucking engineers are on the take. Or like you had pointed out, how many times they swap out engineers so they can yeah. get these environmental impacts. Um, ESAs, there's different phases of ESA. Um that engineering firms do for all sorts of projects. You see that gas station down the road that's digging up the tanks, they've had an environmental assessments done, several of them. You see a building going out there doing an environmental assessment. You want to great, bring great big drill rigs across ice roads in Alaska, they're doing environmental assessments. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a Greenpeace activist thing. It's our, how expensive is this going to be to do it correctly without having any sort of blowback later environmentally or publicly, right? Mm. So it's a very important cog in this machine. Mm. It's this all about pie. crossing those T's and dotting those I's. And fucking the ex of Ed, who is one of the team leads. Listen, you got to do something while you're up there, and, you know, it's good for both of them. I guess so. Abby's Abby's her own woman. She can make her own decisions, and yeah, it's supposed right. to be a one-night stand. They even kind of joke about it. You know? Yeah, but one the problem with the one night stand when you're in close proximity to people and it, locked down for several weeks. Yeah, it's just well that was only supposed to be a one night stand, but that was kind of nice and just keep doing this for a while. When and, you zip your sleeping bags together, it kind of stays like that. I yeah, guess. yeah, it's more work to undo it all and rezip them than it is to just leave it. Yeah, it's true, I guess, but yeah. I don't know. Abby's a really wonderful person, and her and Ed seem to get along really well. Mm-hmm. Her and Hoffman have a great working relationship. Sure, they're having sex, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very minimal, mm-hmm. really, truly. Ed mm-hmm. kind of makes a big thing of it. I think that that's a real big thorn in his side when he returns to find his team lead in bed, quite literally, with the engineer, mm-hmm. who is, in so many ways, his enemy. Yeah. He is the person that, in his mind, is hindering the progress. And although, under different circumstances, it might be reasonable, you have a person here that is whose ass is really on the line when it comes to this project's success. And he doesn't want to hear things like the environment is not cooperating. It's too cold. And he starts off immediately not, what do you mean it's not, it's not cold? It's super cold out, It's but it's not cold enough. And so... 
not only is he under a lot of pressure that way, he's got this personal vendetta against this guy because he finds out rather quickly that Abby, who he had a fling with, and who not only that, in his absence, is in charge of the operation in his stead, that it, it is just a recipe for disaster when you got two dudes butting heads with each other, you know, I, I would say two alpha males. I don't really consider James very alpha. Like, not that I'm a fucking gauge of that, but I'm just saying that. No, but there's not many other uh, males to choose from in this very small, isolated area. So yeah, he is, true. he's by default an alpha male, unfortunately for him. Yeah. Because he's kind of a Barney rebel. He's kind of <laughs> your classic slur for people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's a good looking dude, but he does have a beard, so... There's He's a that. blonde, beardy, environmentalist, friendly, too friendly. He's very, friendly he's very too, too friendly. Kind of wishy-washy. He's got a bit of Hamlet in him. Yep. Uh, not a very decisive uh, character. That might be his tragic flaw if we're going to stick with the Shakespearean elements. Or the Barney Rubbleian uh, Or the, the, Bar- the Barney Rubble elements. Just always goes around along with what Fred. He is in charge of people, though. He does have a, a, a second in command, a little wiener with glasses, that, <laughs> yeah, he's a nerdier looking guy who has awful nosebleeds. And this place is weird, by the way, because something's going on. Yeah, the the, the, the watches aren't working. You know, that's just the, the, the number one tell. Mm-hmm. Not their watches, but nothing seems to be fucking working. Mm-hmm. None of the things that Motor, who is their handyman and mm-hmm. general, you know, maintenance man... To work on, like, the snowcat mm-hmm. and the snow machines and the generators and all of that the stuff. The phones, anything. Motor. It's a really good name for a guy that works on all the motors. Yeah. So Motor is noticing that everything he fixes breaks two hours later. And Maxwell, who is Ed, the head honcho, it, it's his best friend's son. This is his godson, basically, who they've given a job to to get him out in the wilderness and experience drilling with uncle ed you know it's mm-hmm. it's a very cool job and he seems very into it and he seems like a real fit for it i think but he's having re- a lot of trouble with his radio and he's having a lot of trouble with the big eye which one of the other workers lee actually kind of worries about his uh mental state after he goes out to check te- check on some test sites and lay out new test sites and doesn't come back for a very long time. Mm-hmm. They all mount a search to go and see if his skidoo had broke down. Because Motor said everything's fucking breaking. And that skidoo was acting up. Uh, it might have conked out, he says. Which I thought was a very Canadian word. <laughs> I don't know if other people say conked out. But mm-hmm. I've never heard many other people but Canadians say it. So he's worried <laughs> that the skidoo had conked out. There's my Canadianism of the day. Yeah. Um, so they go looking for him, and all of a sudden Maxwell shows back up with mm-hmm. what Lee calls the big eye, mm-hmm. um, kind of freaked out. Mm-hmm. He saw something out there. Mm-hmm. They're trying to console him, warm him up, give him tea, feed him. He doesn't seem very interested in all that. He's almost in this weird disassociative state where he just is, is in a trance. Because up until now, you kind of forgot it was a horror film, right? Because it's... It's compelling. It's wonderful. It's all about work and drilling for oil, which to some people might be a fucking horror mm-hmm. story. But, you know, it, you're very sold. The way that you're sold in watching Alien with the crew of the Nostromo, mm-hmm. it's very work-a-day. And mm-hmm. these people are, you're sold that they fit mm-hmm. into this element and they fit into their roles very, very well. Mm-hmm. Very, very well. And like the thing, you get kind of sold on 
the environment and you get sold on what they're doing and you get sold on the work they're doing the problems that they're having that aren't mm -hmm. related to what maxwell saw in the snow i think that they do it, this film is a bit of a slow burn for people that are looking for something with a little bit more punch and action or to get to the horror faster just to let you know that's not really the type of movie that we're watching what we're watching is a film that is trying to establish uh, the isolationist aspect of this film. It is trying to uh, give you a sense of the almost alien environment that they are in because when you're sh uh, when you're showing outside shots, there's a lot of crane shots. There's a lot of Dutch tilts circling around the encampment to let you see what the facilities really look like. There is a lot of light bleeding into complete darkness everything that you can to really demonstrate that the environment's an enemy. There is something unseen in the wind itself. There is all of these elements that are looming over what has become a closed space environment, even though our characters are not aware of that just yet. And they'll also pepper in different menacing touches where you have somebody looking out into the darkness as if he sees something. But what could he be seeing out there? There's nothing here but snow and crows and wind. That's There's a menacing wind, and it's done really effectively with a minimal score and a very minimalist sound effect. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very creepy mm -hmm. sound mm -hmm. effect, I might add. Um, very classic horror movie sound effects mm -hmm. like water phones and strings, uh, mm -hmm. down to strings used very very effectively because the only creature that we've seen right now to this point is crows mm -hmm. and the sound that they use for the crows is even creepy so mm -hmm. it's done very very effectively and with the crane shots everything is very still everything is very like long shots everything is uh, long duration shots mm -hmm. and everything's very minimalist as far as color goes mm -hmm. up until a certain point when things i guess what the kids are saying now break bad when things break bad <laughs> when they break bad yeah yeah till later on but at this point maxwell has returned they keep calling him house which i did not get until like the fourth view of this fucking movie they call him house as a joke for maxwell house that's uh, right that's right yeah. oh that's funny <laughs> here i am with a cup of coffee in my hand didn't get it took me four reviews <laughs> and like four mentions in to get it but yeah maxwell is not is not doing well he's off resting but the attitudes are starting to become strained we realize this is where i realize uh ron perlman's character ed rarely ever makes eye contact with anyone he really does not when he needs someone's attention he'll yell often in the wrong direction mm -hmm. like he gives no regard to anyone yeah i i don't know if it's if it's an attempt to undermine how big of a human being ron perlman just is because he's often hunched he's often his shoulders are slanted to the side. He is often, he doesn't sit up straight in almost any scene that he's in in this movie. And he's sitting down a lot when he's having conversations with the people. He'll speak into his food. He'll speak into his drink. He will look off to the side, but it's a lot of profile shots. And it's interesting because it shows a person who might not even feel entirely comfortable anymore. There is a darkness that is settling over him and it has changed from the first time we meet this character who's yelling through the the rooms and is a big joke and everyone loves him and 
he he is announcing his present as a herald from the old world with goods and <laughs> services and and promises of of uh, success and uh, like this is he is their connection to the world that they've left behind and now you think that he would be the ideal person to lead once this and it's not even a definitive crisis but it is the reality of the situation and bosses like this can be a little intimidating in my opinion oh yeah because I always prefer leadership roles when people have a distance between them. I don't mind talking to my bosses. You know, I, I do answer to people at my job, but I, I kind of don't ever want to get lulled into a false sense of security that these people are my friend. When I was younger, I didn't understand why my bosses weren't buddies. Why, why can't they be nice? Why can't they be personable? Why can't they make me feel at ease? And the reason why they don't is because when I had bosses like that and then they need to be an authority figure, it's very, you either don't take them seriously or you get unnecessarily offended by that. Because they're your friends. Yeah, I can't believe you're talking to me like this. But because like you can't, I, I'm very bad at taking criticism of any kind. So it doesn't help that this person in a job structure has the right to do that. But this is all going back to the type of person that Ron Perlman is the character of Ed in that first opening scene, he's your boss buddy. Every other scene after that, especially when it has to do with his interaction with Hoffman, is a very cold, gruff, distant, authoritative figure that is the end justifies the means type person. He'd get it done. I don't care. No excuse is good enough. You can't, you can't control the weather. Fuck you. Control the weather. Mm-hmm. You're right. Just make yeah. it work. Make it work. And he's slowly getting this demeanor of a mad dog. And I mean, the best thing about bosses, like, and I've had some really good bosses. And I have an, uh, an impeccably amazing, wonderful boss right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, you get to go home at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? No matter how much you love your boss or how much you don't like your boss. You get to go home at the end of the day. These people don't get to go home at the end of the day. No. They get to go down the hall. They get to the walk five feet to yeah. their own room where your boss can knock on your fucking door like a scary dad that might slap you, you know? Yeah. And everyone's having their trouble. Like Maxwell is shaking in his boots continuously. And this is a guy who seemed to be like the kid, the hardworking kid who's mm-hmm. excited to be there. This is his mm-hmm. first big big job getting isolation pay you know and he's excited and good at what he's doing Mm -hmm. and he's learning and he's a quick learner and he's affable but now he is sequestered in his room acting very strange Mm -hmm. uh having strange conversations of course ed pegs hoffman for filling his head with ideas Mm -hmm. because hoffman not only is an engineer but is also um a little bit of a hippie he's been Mm -hmm. writing a lot of like forward-thinking articles about environmental impact he's worried about the fact that everything's thawing around them, that things that have been frozen for thousands and thousands of years are thawing, and we don't know what this is going to do. We mm-hmm. have, This is an exponential problem mm-hmm. that you're asking me to just ignore and mm-hmm. sign environmental assessments mm-hmm. that say it's okay for you to mm-hmm. pull in even more bigger machinery that these ice roads can hardly take because we can't even build ice roads. Mm-hmm. So now you want to bring in lorries that will facilitate bringing these things in. Like, it's just... You're an exponential problem while we have exponential problems that we don't even understand. And he used the word exponential about four times one day. Mm -hmm. And Ed didn't like that either. So now he's talking to his godson. He thinks about what's going on and what 
about, it is about nature that doesn't want them there. Yeah. Is this idea that, and we've seen this played out in other films before books, comics, the, uh, the idea of a man versus nature story where we humans are this virus that has infected the earth. And just like antibodies, the earth pushes back with disasters and freak storms, superstorms, hurricanes every five minutes, huge droughts, just trying to clear out the infection, which is us. And this is very fresh in our minds right now when we look at all the stuff that's going on in the environment and also the fact that it is true that the earth is getting warmer, our polar ice caps are melting, and the 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 notion of things that have been frozen, mostly bacteria, not so much Wendigos, but bacteria that we don't have immunities for anymore are going to be released into the atmosphere. So scary shit like that is ripe for creating horror. And this is over 10 years old. So props to Larry Fessenden for being that forward thinking and, you know, writing what he knows and writing what he's seeing in the news and writing what he's seeing out his window at the time. It's still timely now, though. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing I really love about this movie. It's kind of evergreen. Mm -hmm. And it does play into not only like hippie things and things in the news, but the um, First Nations beliefs that when you touch the earth, the earth touches you. Mm-hmm. And aside from having the man versus nature, nature versus man archetype in horror, it's a very simple archetype in mythology. So yeah. I really, really appreciate that in this film. And granted, it may be a, a, too much of a slow burn for a lot of people because we're saying monsters, isolation, it's like the thing, it's like alien. But... It is like all of those things, and it is also just a very realistic thing. Because we've talked mostly about deep, explorative drilling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, the fact that the skidoos aren't working. Yeah. Really simple problems. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is human interaction as well. We were learning the dynamics of these people. It seems to be at the forefront, this triangle of... Ed and James and Abby, where there there's the interesting dynamic of Abby is that she seems to have genuine feelings for James. I don't think it would I I would don't think it's love or anything quite like that. But she is trying to spin it quite cruelly. I mean, I don't know how James would feel if he heard the things that she was saying. Probably wouldn't be so miffed when she just wanted to go to bed one night, where she is saying trying to spin it to Ed as if you have, this is your biggest enemy on the project. And I literally have him in my back pocket. I can watch him. He will listen to me because we're sleeping together. So she is trying to almost twist it as this is strategy on top of me, just having a good time. So don't worry about it. Ed can't seem to get past the fact that somebody that he has feelings for or had feelings for in the past is sleeping with somebody that on a fundamental level he doesn't respect. And now you're thinking right now, creeps, what a horror movie. Well, wait, because (laughs) there's also ghostly visages of a herd of caribou. Yeah, ghost caribou. And I really enjoy it. Now, the uh, special effects in this film are nothing to write home about. No, it's but not, I think for uh, for the modest budget, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's very it's, fine. Uh, we've we've had a lot of good things to say about films that have uh, 
exemplary effects lately Mm -hmm. this is the total opposite end of that spectrum Mm -hmm. because it's not about the effects it's not about the monsters necessarily it's about Mm -hmm. what we believe of these monsters and what these monsters are doing to the minds of these people Mm -hmm. and what just the reality that these things exist on our planet is Mm -hmm. doing to their psyche let alone what it's doing environmentally um and all of these things being related is genuinely terrifying it's a cosmic horror story in many ways that's Mm -hmm. taking place in an alien landscape to our eyes because we Mm -hmm. don't live in alaska and i never ever could so it might Mm -hmm. as well be fucking mars but yeah maxwell um he gets a little attention too from the rest of the crew members which we haven't really talked about much aside from motor Mm -hmm. uh lee and don Mm -hmm. don is the cook slash medic slash probably barber yeah she seems to wear a lot of hats she does wear a lot of hats and she also is the most in touch with the earth and the mythologies being what i think is supposed to be inuk but she's actually an Oneida mm. indian so she's from new york okay but, yeah um but they do cast her very well as an inuk mm-hmm. and lee her counterpart who looks to me like he's supposed to be Cree, but he's actually Bolivian. But oh, well, they've there you cast go. it really well, though, because he is very stern. He's mm-hmm. mostly unsmiling. He's mm-hmm. jovial inside, yeah, he's but he's quiet very one. quiet. Very quiet, friendly, though. Yeah, he seems like a person that speaks with purpose. And, and I think that you can tell that from his character because there's this moment where Dawn is talking about the belief that when you touch the earth, it touches you back and that spirits can exist. And she is the one that utters because there might be a point in this film where you're thinking, well, where are the Wendigos? Where, where are these things? She is the character that utters that word to Mm. give this force shape in a way to help us interpret what we're looking at. And she then turns to Lee for confirmation and I love his line where he's just leaning back very sternly, yet hauntingly looking forward. And he says, I believe what I see with my own two eyes. And that to me is a powerful statement of ambivalence. But at the same time, it sounds very authoritative. And it sounds like, let's look to Lee, the guy that never talks, and and to see what he has to say about it. And even though what he says is pretty benign, it seems to have way more impact in such a simple delivery. It is pretty benign, but and you could almost accuse Dawn of going off on wives' tales at that point because, mm-hmm. yeah, things are acting weird. Max was acting very weird. Um, Motor even uh, likens it to, like, Twilight Zone. Mm. Can, can, can you be any more fucking Twilight Zone? Because mm. he's acting different. She has a word for it, an Inuk word that I don't recognize for something that you don't recognize, something, a friend that you don't recognize anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's a word that they would use to describe what the weather is doing right now. Mm -hmm. And it's also a word that she's applying to Maxwell Mm -hmm. because the weather is a friend they don't recognize. The weather is in the middle of February and they're getting rain. Mm -hmm. It's freaking them out, rightly so. I mean, in February, I wouldn't mind some rain because that means it's not fucking frigid out, but they need it to be frigid and they're used to it being frigid. It's fucking Alaska. Maxwell is a young hardworking upstart who is suddenly basically mute, won't mm-hmm. leave his room, won't eat food, mm-hmm. and keeps staring out the window. Spouting some green peas jibber-jabber about <laughs> what, about like the, the impact that we're having on the environment. He saw something in the woods that he cannot quite quantify, and he or he's either unwilling or unable. 
we don't know. But what will end up happening is in the middle of the night, he will leave the facility stark naked. Which terrifies me. Mm -hmm. You know, going out into the cold, yes. But he decides to prove this once and for all Mm -hmm. and maybe capture what it is that he's seen. Um, He takes the video camera out. No clothing, which is also another sign of having some sort of illness, some sort of like um, beaver fever or Mm -hmm. cabin fever or... Chilly willies. Wendigos. Wendigos. He's got a killer case of the Wendigos. Um, And that's more of the when a person becomes a cannibalistic Wendigo and they're possessed by the Wendigo spirit, they will often strip naked and go and eat people out Mm -hmm. in the snow. And Mm -hmm. they're impervious to temperature, which is sort of what seems to be happening here, sort of what they're saying without saying. But he takes a video camera out to try and capture what it was. He'd seen these ghost caribou Mm -hmm. that he'd seen out there. The next day they recover his body. They do. And the nice touch that I have, first of all, his naked body is adorning the co- the cover of this DVD. Frozen, colorless, stiff, covered in snow. Mm-hmm. Terrifying on so many levels to me. And when they find the body, he no longer has his eyes. You might think to yourself, what could that mean? I mean, the implications, the story implications about somebody having their eyes torn out, narrative significance of people's eyes, the, the mythology around people's eyes let alone the fact that, oh, they just got eaten by crows and we can see the crows pecking at the remnants of brain tissue and stuff that they've dug out of his skull. You got to eat something up there, crows. It's a very nice touch. And it's mm-hmm. also a very nice touch in that it reminds me very much of the Day at Love Pass incident uh, that was fictionalized in the film Devil's Pass, which wasn't that good of a film, but I really like the true story behind it. And they did find people in this state, no clothes, no eyes, having walked to the middle of nowhere when they follow his naked footprints out mm-hmm. into the snow they maybe maybe go 20 paces and stop mm-hmm. as if he were plucked up into the sky which happened in the very famous day in love pass incident um but they find him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet away the day when he had gone missing and returned, his tracker said that he walked over 500 miles, which is very strange. He was gone for a long time, but there's no way he could have walked 500 miles. No way. Mm-hmm. So it just, you're thinking, of, you're trying to put all these things together. Like, ooh, his tracker had somewhat had him whisked away 500 miles around before he returned. And now he's been whisked a couple miles away somehow. So what the fuck happened to this kid? Mm-hmm. So they put him on the back of the snowmobile and tow his body back to the Mm-hmm. camp but i mean his uncle it's not really his uncle it's his godfather but it's like his uncle his reaction is very formany it's not very familial at all his reaction is like well god damn it now what are we gonna do mm-hmm. it, it 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 seems to be he, he this is a person by the way through a monologue we know that he has known this kid since the day he was born and was close with his father and brought him out there because he thought it would be good for him. And it was his job to look after him. Later on, he'll say he died on my watch, which will make you realize, okay, he does feel something for that. But in this initial reaction, it seems to be, uh, oh, well, great. Yeah. Now everything's fucked. Not only is the project not good, but we have to deal with the fact that someone has died. He seems more interested in the problem arisen by having to ship his body back than he is that a fucking... 
basically a family member of his just died. He does not seem to be reacting like that. So whatever. They watch the tape. Because, like, I guess he got it now, right? Like, mm-hmm. the tape is fun. The tape is fun. He is speaking into it. To his dad. Saying, do you see it, dad? Mm-hmm. Do you see it? And they don't see anything until the moment that he seems to be whisked away where they found the camera. You see out of the corner. You see the shape of something. It's Blair Witch. Blair Witch style. <laughs> no, because, but you do see something. You're not sure. But Ed just tosses that tape right in the fucking fire. Yeah, everyone freaks out, and rightly so. They're like, it's evidence. People are going to ask questions. He's like, he, he ran off. He died of exposure. What questions are there to ask? Mm-hmm. Everyone's right, okay? I, I get that. And that's one thing I like about the techniques used in the problem solving in this film is that a lot of times you're you're faced with two very correct but opposing ideas and you kind of can agree with either one. Mm-hmm. It really depends on what kind of person you are, what choice you would make or what mm-hmm. side you would be on. But if you're not a human and not making choices, but just judging these two opposing ideas, they're both kind of right. Mm-hmm. There's friction amongst James and Ed because... James won't play ball with signing off on these environmentally destructive things. And so he won't sign this this paper. I love the line that he delivers to Ed where he says, this is not a proposal. Ed says to him that I need a, this is a yes thing. I need you to sign this. And James bites back with, I'm not signing something because you need me to sign something. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the, yeah, you can fucking cheerlead all you want, though. Who's off the project? Yeah. Foresters off the project. With a phone call. Yeah. With a fucking phone call. And he's done. Mm-hmm. Him and his little lackey, little nerdy, little glasses, and nerdy McGlasses. What were you calling him? Well, I called him a wiener, but I can't remember. Fuck, what was his name? Yeah, I can't remember his name either. But either way, Gary, who we've heard so much about, is going to come <laughs> and pick them up in the airplane. Because yeah. I guess Gary was who had dropped that off later or earlier. And Gary is their lifeline. Gary is the pilot that does these runs out into these remote camps Mm -hmm. and, you know, bring supplies to the drill team down the road because 10 miles or 20 miles away, they're, they're putting in the ice road and Mm -hmm. 20 miles before that, there's probably another team and 20 miles before that, there's some outposts that he services. So Gary just flies around being cool. Yeah. Uh, And, and one of the things about James's uh, underling there is that he's got this fucking nosebleed that won't stop. Oh my god, yeah, he got hit. They were playing football, not unlike uh, a Tommy Wiseau version of football. (laughs) It was. And he got uh, smashed and got his nose busted up a little and it hasn't stopped bleeding since, which is kind of unfortunate. But I mean, you had pointed out it's this dry, cold, weird climate. Mm -hmm. It's Nosebleeds uh, are probably not uncommon. Yeah. It's probably exactly why he keeps getting nosebleeds, but everything is everything that's happening is weird right now, mm-hmm. and that is weird to him. Yeah, and he's acting like he's drunk all of the time. He is drinking a little, but he's not drinking to the point like Motor mm-hmm. is the person that drinks a lot, mm-hmm. and he's not even acting. Does that does drunk. does the marijuana? Does he does the marijuana? I didn't even notice. Yeah, he does the marijuana. So I, one of the th- the interesting things is that. When Motor himself seems to be acting bizarre. Now, James, initially, his idea is to let's bug the fuck out. And you need that in a horror movie. You need someone to, the knee-jerk reaction to anything should be let's leave. So you can hearken back to that and say, if only they just listened to him. (laughs) But at this point, they're not willing to do that. Now, Motor is in the back 
almost obsessively trying to fix this cat. He is doing it until his hands bleed. He can't feel them anymore. And there's something going on. James thinks that it's this sour gas that is seeping up through the earth because of the fact that they're experiencing unseasonably warm weather. Mm -hmm. And both Abby and Ed don't seem to be buying this for a second. And I almost jumped all over this movie's dick because I get really frustrated because I understand that the project needs to get done. And I can understand Ed being in a position of this project needs to get done. He's demonstrated that time and time again that he only cares about the project being successful. And that's what he cares about. And he's already established that they are going to haul the bu- Somebody is coming tomorrow. Yeah. And, and Forrester is going to come or Forrester is going to leave. Forrester mm-hmm. and his lackey. And Foster, who mm-hmm. is the real head honcho of mm-hmm. this project, is coming along mm-hmm. with Gary on the plane. So they can all bring the body back and and and, and get rid of the and, and, and we'll get engineers the, and we'll get the new guys in and they'll play ball and then we're we're good. Yeah. But the fact that Abby won't listen and I don't know if it's because of the fact that Ed got into her head about how he was personally disappointed in her and was questioning her job on the project and so she just had a conversation where she essentially had to stick up for herself and say, "Hey, I've been doing a good job." And the fact that I'm sleeping with this person has nothing to do with the work that I'm doing here. And I don't know if that makes her consciously put up a wall in which, no, we're not all leaving. Even though this person is, there's no follow-up questions to the fact that Motor's out there acting bizarre. Somebody else was acting bizarre. This person is now dead. Motor is working until his hands bleed. That is not normal behavior and no one will listen. But the good news is we'll get another death that will encourage everyone to leave. And so that's where I I was almost, I swear to God, if one more fucking person dies and they're still touting the nobody leaves because we got to get this project done thing, I fucking quit. But they don't. And it's not just a little tiny death either. No, the fucking guy's damn nose just leaks all over. He bled out all over. And it is uncommon other uncommon things are happening ed wets the bed he does wet the bed he hides this from everybody his shame the only person that isn't acting really untoward lee is lee is still lee he's stoic quiet fairly normal lee um don seems to be better acclimatized to all of this than anybody else Mm -hmm. you know maybe it's that all that home cooking or, you know, she's being a little more in touch with her own spirit animal. The exercise she's doing. I don't know what the it is. The romance novel the might The romance help. novel might be helping. Whatever it is, she seems relatively untouched by this. But everyone else is fucking going berserk. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Now they have two bodies to haul out. Whatever. Plane shows up. The plane's showing up in an hour. Plane's showing up in a few minutes. Oh my god, and here's the plane. Credits. Everything's safe. Uh, whoops. So the the plane starts experiencing some turbulence. Yeah, it's like Devil's Triangle over top of this goddamn Holy thing. Because that's exactly what it is. All their instruments suddenly fucking tank. We got the star of the film, Larry Fessenden, shows up <laughs> in this plane as Foster, the head honcho. And he is the head honcho of this film. So it's kind of cool that he has a little, little bit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gary, who we've heard so much about. Mm-hmm. Got a very well-trimmed and manicured beard. He would be the runner-up for the next Barney Rubble. Yeah. But instead he crashes a plane and we really don't get to meet Gary, do we? This crash, if I could describe 
how this crash just royally fucks up everything. This crash hits their main facility, tears it open like a can of tuna, destroys their skidoos, destroys the cat. Uh, blows up any extra gas they would have had. Blows up any extra gas they would have had. Motor's legs catch on fire. Lee's hands trying to put it because he's got fuel on his pants. Like and it's, napalm. And it's burning and Lee tries to put him out. Lee's hands are burned, like third degree burns easily. Larry Fessenden gets half of his body basically burnt off mm-hmm. almost. The two, the, two pe- the two other people in the plane burnt to a fucking crisp. It's- Skeletons. And and, and it was just like, because when you're in this wide open space and this plane could have crashed anywhere, it was the worst possible combination of things. Now you have motors screaming for his life. They need fucking morphine. Two two more people dead. Maxwell's body is no longer on the fucking table that they put it on. And now it is on fire too. Yeah. And, and somehow it made itself, even before the plane la- crash landed, it had made itself off into the tundra somehow. Like, everything everything is going very fucking weird. And this is moments after they had said, okay, yes, you know what? There is something going on. We're all going to go into town. We're going to go to Fort Crow or we're going to go to Dead Horse, one of the two pl- I think it was Dead Horse. Mm-hmm. There's a um, hospital in Dead Horse. Yeah. They're going to get chucked out. Uh, whoever wants to leave can leave at that point. You know, it's we're going to return when we're checked out at the emergency facilities in Dead Horse. Um, so everything would have been like wrapped up nice and neatly. So we have this nice catastrophic event to fucking royally fucking fuck everything up. Mm-hmm. The good news is, is the plane planes aren't allowed to just fly off and not come back. So all they have to do. <laughs> yeah, they're not like an albatross or a pet crow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So all they have to do is wait one more day. If they wait one more day, some another plane will come to figure out what happened to this plane. That's a good idea. But here we are with a counter idea because we have to have two ideas in this movie at all times. And mm-hmm. they have to both sound equally fucking plausible. Mm-hmm. We could get on the one remaining snow machine that is full of gas and go 20 miles to Fort Crow, mm-hmm. which is a little Inuk village, and get some help. They have a plane. Yeah. And and of course, since James suggests this idea, Ed is instantly against it. No, <laughs> I don't fucking like this idea because by admitting that this plan is a good plan, that somehow he will lose in this virtually imagined competition between him and this other person. Well, it's not all peacocking because 19 miles away is Fort Crow, but 20 miles away is another crew putting in the ice road and mm-hmm. they have radios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can they can establish that, all right, fine, we'll go. But the both of them go. These two men will leave together. And it's a kind of a wonderful vision. You have these two diametrically opposed gentlemen who have this woman between them, uh, the job between them, the, mm-hmm. the fate of the rest of the crew between them, dead bodies littering the fucking tundra between them. And there they go off on the one skidoo with one tank of gas into mm-hmm. the sunset. Mm-hmm. Because they got, what, four hours of light to deal yeah. with. So it's a good tree. I, I mean, the, the options were kind of limited. You could probably try to get Abby or Don to go, but someone needs to be in charge because Lee's hands are burnt 
Motors hands are burnt. You need Dawn there, I guess, now because she's the medic, right? So there's people with severe burns here. Yeah, Foster's and, dead. Yeah. Uh, Gary and the other dude whose name I don't even know if we ever learned, burnt too crisp. Uh, everyone else is pretty much useless. Dawn is taxed. She's mm-hmm. starting to show a couple cracks where, it's, you know, she's just been jacking up everyone with morphine and trying to cover burn wounds constantly. That's well, her job the, now. When these guys flow off, we do get one haunting image of Lee. He's staring off into the tundra and what is that we hear in the distance the clippy clops of cloven hooves ghost caribou <laughs> yeah it's not long before dawn goes out to see where lee is and he's gone mm-hmm. what did you liken it to oh that is, it was the rapture yeah lee made, lee made the cut nothing but his boots <laughs> yeah it's just his boots. was that our spontaneous human combustion one of the two, you know, and everything going so crazy here. It could have been anything, but I think he just took a ride on a ghost caribou. Mm-hmm. These things are very snatchy. They are very snatchy. Um, so everything's kind of going. This is where I would have said everything has broken bad. Right? <laughs> when the, the plane smashes in, has cut all of their resources in half, cut their facility in half, cut their team in half. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's really, really gone to shit. It's a it's yeah. a wonder that Don and Abby are keeping their shit together. Because mm-hmm. that's basically what we're down to now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Motor. No, Motor's doing okay. His legs are burnt. He's got third degree burns on his well, fucking... Yeah, but he's mostly okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. But then Don fixes that. Oh, yeah, she just... <laughs> Listen. Abby... Abby's reaction to walking in... You know what? Hang on a second. I'm going to reel it in because I've just had a realization. You walk into a room and your medic is smothering somebody, two people that you believe are perfectly normal and sane. And the last time we spoke to Motor, he said, we got to get out of here. We have to leave this place. And so you think to yourself, yeah, he seems insane. And Dawn has never really shown too much. She's very sorrowful about the people that have died. She's a medic. And beyond the human reaction of people are dying around me, there's the medical responsibility of not being able to save people. And her shamanistic responsibilities where she just wants to see them off to a better place. too. Exactly. She is very sorrowful, though. And so you're walking in while Motor is basically screaming for his life, and she is laughing while smothering him with a pillow. And Abby has this slow-ass fucking reaction where she is almost, look at Motor, look at Don, look at Motor, what are you doing? (laughs) And in the interim of this, trying to figure out what she's looking at, Motor fucking dies. (laughs) (laughs) we shouldn't be laughing but it's hilarious like for that moment because don is also laughing maniacally and uncontrollably which is not really within the personality of either her or lee you know Mm -hmm. they were happy and very genuine people but not mirthful by any means yeah they weren't cracking jokes or or laughing this is the first we've seen don laugh you know a little smile a little shy smile here and there especially Mm -hmm. reading her romance magazines Mm -hmm. romance novels but other than that, this maniacal laughter and the unkempt hair. Yeah, it the, looks wild. Yeah, the, the the way that her face changes with mm-hmm. this crazy laughter that's coming yeah. out of her and is not dissimilar to some of the um, horrible spirits that someone could be possessed with in Inuit culture, like Mahaha the Tickler. Yeah, I buy it. It's very authentic performance, too. Uh, she does go down like a henchman in a Bond movie because... 
she gets rammed and her head hits a corner of a shelf in just such a way that she's essentially just dead. And so in that moment, Lee's missing. Motor has been smothered to death by Dawn. And in a struggle between Abby and Dawn, Dawn has died. And now Abby's left alone. But the next time she looks to where Dawn's body might be, the body is gone. Which is so creepy because... We didn't hear her get up. She's not coming at her like a Jason Voorhees or anything like that. That's mm-hmm. not, None of that hap- happens. So it's even creepier that Dawn's body's gone because it just is gone. It just yeah. is gone. Uh, so Abby's left alone. She's kind of freaking out. And I really enjoy the performance of the actress Connie Britton. You might remember her from the first American Horror Story, The Murder House. Oh, she did look familiar to me and i couldn't place her well there you are i placed her in the murder house um not a dissimilar performance either where she's faced with all of these really unnerving facts and has to make a decision that she has to stick to because she's just a very very strong woman and needs to get through this for herself Mm -hmm. um not so much for her son in the murder house or not so much for her crew in this, but to maintain her own sanity and also just wants people around her to be upstanding, do their job and tell the truth. That's all she wants. It's a very similar thing here where it's, you know, such an affront to her and who she is, even though she's a little bit manipulative when it comes to Forrester, but for Dawn to have turned on them like that, I think that is the, the final fucking crack she needs where she trusts absolutely nobody. And she basically secrets herself in a cupboard for the rest of the film. And I don't Mm -hmm. blame her um, with a walkie talkie. Yeah. When James and uh, when James and Ed are out there in the wilderness, that's when they have some deep bro conversations as deep and bro-y as you can possibly get. These are two manly men now out in the wilderness and they're trying to get help. But the bad thing is that they do encounter people but these people have died in the same manner. First, one looks identical to Maxwell. He's naked. His eyes are gone. And he his hands are curled up mm-hmm. over his chest in that frozen manner. Another worker still in his boots and parka is just lying dead, almost as if he just laid down in the snow. Yeah. Looks like he just laid down in the snow and his heart stopped. None of their machinery is working, so it's sort of like the machinery of that man stopped working, too. It's very, very bizarre. And for some reason, while they're together, Ed just bursts off and runs towards the hills. But he breaks, goes underneath some very thin ice. Yeah, they've decided that it's only eight or nine miles south to Fort Crow. They're off roads now entirely, right? Mm. So I, it makes sense that he doesn't really know the area and i think that forrester even says something like hey slow down we don't know this area i think there's a river around here but i'm not sure because i don't remember the map uh poof down the river yeah terrifying this is where i'm already curled in a ball in the corner scared Mm -hmm. but to have being plunged into cold water at below zero temperatures night is coming you're miles away from humans and considering the fucking humans you've just encountered, I don't, it doesn't bode well for the people over the ridge, right? That entire settlement. Who knows if that village is even fucking there anymore? It could be in flames. It could be frozen. Everyone could be dead. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're underwater yeah. in the cold at night. He lost his boot. He lost his boot. That is fucking terrifying. The image of him being pulled out of the frozen lake 
minus one boot. So he's wet and snow is sticking to him. I can't handle it. That's where I would be like, shoot me in the temple. Put me out of my misery. There's no way I'm coming back from this. But this is like Ron Perlman. He's basically Chuck Norris. <laughs> so they start a fire. Forrester knows what he's doing. Of course, they're all trained to be where they are. And cautions him that drinking out of his flask isn't, doesn't uh, mix well with hypothermia. So no, he's getting yeah. over that. He's fashioning him a boot out of the tongue of his own boot and other things and part of his parka and mm-hmm. things like that. You pointed out there's a perfectly viable parka just down the way on Frozen Guy. Oh, well, that's what I was saying. There's Listen, boots on him. There's, there, in, in a survival situation, you could probably understand or be understood by other people if you were to just, listen, this guy doesn't need that parka or those boots anymore. Yeah. You may as well just grab them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, there's a little bit of, like, this is the war of the boots now, because even though Ron Perlman's character is is thawing out slowly, oh, I hate this. I hate all of this, this freezing cold bullshit. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's thawing out nicely and they just had a very touching conversation about God, God, it starts out with Ron Perlman being like, you know, well, you know, yeah. So you and Abby, I I get it. Yeah. I get it. Do you believe in God? And that's the only time he makes fucking eye contact with anyone is when Forrester says, no, no, I don't. Not like. Not the way that you mean. Yeah. I, I think that. I wouldn't say that James is necessarily agnostic, but he he is a person that believes in nature. He believes in this Gaia, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. would be the 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 entity or the the scientific fact of the planet Earth trying to protect itself and reject the things that are polluting it. And how like David Suzuki, exactly. It's like, like David, David Suzuki, Suzuki. and. And um, that that definitely seems very deeply troubling to Ed because he his opinion is you need God as a tether out here. Well, you know what? They don't need to have this bro conversation about God and tethers and stuff anymore because the wind kicks up and it freaks somebody out. And all of a sudden, Ed needs his boots because he's the boss here and he's calling the shots and he's going to get over that ridge and to that village and save everybody. Give me your boots. Yeah, give me your boots. I'm in charge here. I want your fucking boots. When when James becomes terrified of something, this sequence, by the way, at night is where we first get a clear image of this Wendigo. There, it's a very interesting interpretation. If you look up images of Wendigo, there there is no one way that people seem to create this thing. Some of them look kind of like ghouls. Other ones, the the most prominent image, though, they have antlers. They are furry. They almost if it would be like if a, a human was morphing into a werewolf deer type thing yeah. or a caribou. And these are the spirits that will in, inhabit those who go cannibalistic, mm-hmm. among others. Um, so there are there's more than one. Mm hmm. There's a uh, herd Wendigo. of them, essentially. Yeah, and that's what I keep referring to as ghost caribou. Oh, shit. They're, it's a fucking herd, uh, a migrating herd of Wendigo. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. That whole idea is fucking terrifying. And that's what he's, you know, edging on here. The larger creature that they see is so much more like Gitchy Manitou, uh, which isn't normally an evil spirit by any means. Mm-hmm. It's like the great spirit. He's the closest thing to God. Mm-hmm. Um 
But for Forster to be like, I don't believe in God the way you mean, mm-hmm. would, of course, leave him open to see something like the Manitou. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what this is like. Or you could like say it's the... The, the queen alien of all mm. the fucking Wendigo. It's mm. like the mo- mo- huge mother Wendigo. But it really strikes me more of Manitou. But it's it's an interesting... Splitting hairs. True. Mm. But it's this interesting uh, idea that we could say, well, it's Wendigo, but it could more easily be explained away as these... The, 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 the Aboriginal people's misstructure, generally speaking, is... Things, huge interpretations of natural phenomenon. Nature. Nature is where these things come from. Earth is nature. If Earth itself was trying to repel what humans are doing to it, people that have forgotten to appreciate and work in harmony with nature, then it will take these god forces, these ancient primal ideas of nature, and use them as a force against the human race to indiscriminately wipe them off the face of the planet or spare at least those that would work in harmony, at least reduce the numbers. Mm -hmm. So I I think that it's completely plausible that there could be multiple varieties of these spirits that are springing forth, for lack of a better term, in a thawing tundra. Which is exactly what's happening. It sounds so very basic, but Mm -hmm. they're stuck in this maelstrom of death and destruction because of it, Mm -hmm. which is uniquely terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, Ed runs off. Not terrified. He's acting like he's terrified, but he also doesn't see this. He's just running off to save his own hide at this point because Forrester can see this creature. Mm Mm-hmm. And he keeps yelling at him, like, open your eyes. Can't you see it? Mm-hmm. And Ed cannot see what this is. Decides, fuck you. You're going crazy. You're making me do this. And hits him over the head. Mm-hmm. Because I was, he thinks Forrester is freaking out. I was wondering when we were going to get a tussle. Not so much a tussle. This was a bludgeoning of one of the individuals. Because the way that they were setting up this story, I was thinking to myself, there is no way in hell that they are setting up these two men in this situation, that it will not come to a physical altercation between the two of them at some point. I did like, though, how it's framed that doesn't make Ed out just to be an asshole. He didn't just hit him. He didn't. He was kind of scared of him. He was kind of scared of him. And it's like, I can't say you can't blame him, because, yeah, you can, because he also fucking takes his boot. Yeah, he takes his boots and fucks off. Now, in at this point, Abby... Get, has her radio and James when he comes to is able to contact her and very weakly is trudging to the snow after the direction that he believes Ed went into. I mean, he knows what the fort is. So. And he's following footprints at least. So mm-hmm. that's a good sign that he still mm-hmm. has footprints. They have a kind of a sweet conversation where Abby is sitting there watching this murder of crows devour the bodies of her friends. Well, one guy she doesn't really know, but Motor's <laughs> yeah. body anyway, as the, the crows are picking at the bodies. And while she's trying to have this conversation with James about... And he's kind of losing it, right? He is... He is I wouldn't say he's officially lost it yet, but he is losing it. He is going into his hippie diatribe of... We need to tell people. You need to tell people. This needs to get shut down. And when we see what we've done to the world, humans are going to be together, work in harmony together and rise up. And 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 we will show definitively that we are destroying the planet and then in that knowledge, save the planet. 
Which is the conversation you want to have while you're charging through snow, lack of sleep, lack of food. You don't know where anyone is. You're worried about the future of your friend Abby, let alone everyone else on the entire planet. Mm -hmm. So you're having this hippie diatribe. And in between peppered into a lot of this, there's little like almost workaday comments, which I really enjoy. Like, hey, is Ed there? Nah, he took off. (laughs) Like (laughs) just little tiny Mm -hmm. tidbits that sound like you could have said them on any day. Like when they approach the abandoned machinery that's building the ice road and it's like, is it Tuesday? And Forrester's like, yep, Tuesday, all day. <laughs> like things that you would say at work, you know, like almost small talkish. But yeah, very terrified because she's just sort of humoring him. Hmm. She's going a little bit stir crazy herself. She's all alone. She's covered in dirt and soot from the fire. She's probably hungry and cold and tired herself she's hiding in a fucking cupboard clutching a radio and saying yeah yeah i'm gonna tell the world yeah the people are gonna rise up and encouraging james as much as she can now james will lose radio contact with her and that's kind of where we leave abby for a bit anyways and then he'll encounter ed's body ed is not dead but James gets knocked off of a hill and lands next to them. You kind of have the both of the men lying there together. And in Ed's hand, there was the flare gun that he had. And he kind of crawls to it because he has this sense that, you know, at this point, you're not sure. Is he just going to shoot Ed with this thing? Or is he trying to, there's some sort of force that he feels is encircling them. And he would be right because as he's going for there and Ed is conscious this big Wendigo, like, is stalking. Like a huge, massive, almost like a troll from Troll Hunter. Yeah. Like, massive fucking creature that's almost gauzy and see-through. We had just been treated to a wonderful vision of the Aurora Borealis, or Northern Lights, as, mm-hmm. as it's called. And it seems to be made of Aurora Borealis, almost. The way that they're envisioning this giant creature, this huge spirit Mm -hmm. that is a lethal, gigantic monster. Mm -hmm. It's stalking around them like it would be, you know, a a cat uh, around wounded mice. Mm -hmm. And Ed is just saying to James, like, don't you see it? Shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And instead of shooting it, he fires the flare up into the air and this thing notices what he's done and instead of attacking Ed rushes James and picks him up and carries him away. And there's a, there's a split sequence here of James going through the snow and it flashing back to his childhood. And we're seeing that same speed through the snow, but it's at a smaller angle. And it is that the exuberance of running through the snow going home as a child. Meanwhile, we go back to Ed, who has been dogpiled by smaller Wendigo and is just getting ripped apart, essentially. Yeah, almost like something from Pitch Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are very, they are a lot like those creatures from Pitch Black. Not blind, but but just that's kind of what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The cave creatures from The Descent or something. Yeah, yeah. That's something. what they're sort of envisioned as, mm-hmm. but made of wonderful northern lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. pretty. And it's very interesting. I liked the sequence as I've been thinking about the sequence of him, whether it's himself as a child or it's this, it's probably himself as a child running back 
right? Running home. And I, I think that for someone in his position that believes the earth to be, so it's like billions of years ago, life on earth starts by a single cell dividing and it does it again and it does it again. And it's easy to think of the earth as one gigantic super organism and we're all connected and we're all part of the same thing. We all contain the atoms of the cosmos together. And you can think about that now. You think about yourself and you think about you as a living person and you run back into your mother's womb and then your mother runs back into her mother's womb and et cetera, et cetera. And you do that for all time. And then you get back to where we all began together and everyone, everything that procreates and is born and lives and dies can all relate in that same sense. So there's a very, it's, 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 I don't know if that's what the director was getting at with that sequence, but that's definitely what it made me think about. And I'm not saying for a hundred percent, that he was killed, although the implication everyone else seems to have been killed. But it seems weird to me that in an act of violence, he instead uses it to get this thing's attention. And if we are to believe that these are spirit forces from the earth, who knows exactly what's happened to him? Who knows what happened to Lee, another calm, reasonable person who was not attacking the cold. We never found a body. Like, where's Don's body? What exactly is happening to these people? I guess we'll never, ever know. They're just being whisked away. It could be, like, those who are really the threat to these spirits, creatures, whatever mm-hmm. you, you take them as, are being devoured. Mm-hmm. Like, someone putting in test bits mm-hmm. is being shown this herd of ghost caribou. And then enticed out to the cold to die of their own mm-hmm. free will in a way mm-hmm. maybe that's what happened to lee but somebody who's absolutely a threat to them like ed is getting torn apart viscerally mm-hmm. so maybe somebody who would actually have acted as some sort of protector like forrester is given some sort of special treatment and brought to a planet where he can reign as king and be fed grapes and fanned gently by or, slaves or reincarnated by, as a tree man or just eaten. Or just eaten. The Wendigo were uh, carnivorous. But don't you worry, gang. Don't you fret. Abby's back in town. Literally, in a town. She's in a yeah, hospital. She was... <laughs> Wakes she... up in bed, in a hospital bed. How did she get there, do you think? The, the second plane. The second the, the second plane, plane. come. Found her. And she has woken up 28 fucking days style. Yeah. She's woken up in a hospital bed. And she looks around. Looks into her neighboring hospital room. Well, it looks like someone's torn over the sheets and left in a hurry. There seems to be like a urine sample on the ground. Yeah, just like and discarded. Everything's in disarray. She can hear the news, and we, if we're listening, we can hear news reports and weather reports of baseball-sized hail falling in Miami. Mm-hmm. Superstorms. Yeah, on. it's going from like plus sixty-seven degrees Fahrenheit to snow mm-hmm. in new york you know like just crazy weather all around floods everywhere mm-hmm. um, droughts floods heat snow rain sleet everything's happening all at once mm-hmm. um so the world has gone berserk weather wise yeah she goes into she knocks on one of the doctor's office's doors opens it up there's a dude it's, he's hung himself he's killed himself yeah and she finally makes it out to the outside world and we hear the ominous heavy stomping of something and the camera is panning out and you almost would think 
maybe they would have if they had more of a budget <laughs> that you might see exactly what she's looking at but you get the sense from the camera angle and also her ominous looking hands out surveying the scenery the skyline whatever it is that they are on the verge of some kind of Ragnarok it is yeah it, yeah. it is end of days level of something and there's nobody left probably in her immediate area. There's just nothing but destruction. And maybe in the distance she is seeing something. Dead Horse um, is usually has about 20 to 50 people. According to Wikipedia, can get as high as 3,000 people. So there should be fucking people around. Mm-hmm. This is a little hospital. Um mm-hmm. You can see floodwaters mm. encroaching on this rise that she's on. Because the camera doesn't pan up to show us anything of what's going on. All we yeah. get are these sounds, mm. right? And the sounds of emergency vehicles going off around her, obviously unattended. Uh, the water coming up almost to her ankles. This is a place that right now is minus 14 degrees Celsius. So mm. it's, it's sub-zero at mm-hmm. all times, this place. Not this day. No terrifying consequences Mm -hmm. i would love to see where this story goes but i'm happy with it ending here you know very um lovecraftian very twilight zone yeah yeah i i i agree i think it would be nice to see them expanding on the the world but i think that the story ends quite uh definitively in this moment abby is not long for this world and i don't think anybody is Although she's a bit of a survivor. She is a bit of a survivor, but it seems to be fairly indiscriminate. With I want to know what's going on at Fort Crow. Maybe she makes it to Fort Crow. Come on, Wes. Have a little hope. I can have hope. And listen, I love sequelization. I love continuing narratives. But I also think that sometimes stories are done. I would... And, and I think that the interpretation... And as they were somewhat panning out, I was watching this as like, oh, they're not giving us that shot. They are not giving that shot. Credits. Three, two, one. And of course, here come the credits. And, and, and so I said, yeah. yeah." Because you want it to pull back. You want to see what the world looks oh, like, right? You oh, want to see what this creature is if you can see it. If this movie was more mainstream, if this was a mainstream, this is a Blumhouse movie, yeah, they would have panned out and you would have seen the fucking Cthulhu in the sky or something like well, that. Well, you know, and they also, they've tricked us too. And this is giving it way more credit than 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 is worth and way more thought on my part, too, is like, Larry Fessenden's already tricked us. He showed us people fucking and people making grody old sex sounds at night. And then oh, yeah. not long after, they sh- we heard something that sounds like springs creaking and panting, but it was Don jumping on a trampoline. So he's <laughs> kind of tricked us auditorially here. So maybe, maybe this is an oil derrick. Maybe they got the ice road in. Maybe this is the sound of this giant oil derrick going off in the tundra. Maybe that's what we're hearing, that stomping. Maybe it's not Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> well, for once, you're the positive one. Here I am. I'm just happy because it looks a lot warmer. <laughs> Come on, global warming. I'm, I'm fine with unthawing Wendigos or whatever the hell. Warm up. Just please warm up. We're supposed to have what they're calling a classic Canadian winter. I don't know what that fucking means. All I know is that I hate the cold. I'm scared of the cold. I don't want gangrene. So a movie like this gives me a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. Gives me the chilly willies. Gives you the chilly willies. Well, this isn't Christmassy enough for you. We do have a Christmas movie coming up. And uh, Mind Torture Cast has covered Red Christmas just recently. So if you're into new fucking Christmas movies and stuff, 
you can you can tune in there but i hope that people seek out the last winter i mean it's not so hard to find crimson peak yeah you can find that pretty much anywhere the last winter is going to be a little bit of a dig for you yeah glass eye picks uh you could go to their website the the link to buy there takes you to amazon so might as well just try your luck on amazon try your luck on ebay Mm -hmm. try your luck in the used stores i had tried our favorite haunt turning point and couldn't find a thing uh and i've tried several times to find the last winter but i had to order it so yeah it's a rare thing here on the show. We usually rely heavily on Wes's gigantic box store style collection <laughs> or VOD because I am a proponent of mm-hmm. of storing things on air. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be using Shudder to watch Christmas Evil. Yeah, which is our, our next coming up thing. I'm excited because it's a Christmas movie. And then we can get into Clowns or Stephen King, whichever direction we want to go at at that point. Yeah. The long dark of the winter is just beginning, Lydia. God, don't remind me. (laughs) But yeah, the um, only thing that I wanted to mention, you know, a lot of the podcasts I listen to don't rely on advertising. Uh, Bind Torture Cast is a great example. That's one of my most favorite shows because if you want to hear something in between segments... It's fucking music. And Chris has a, an impeccable taste in music. An impeccable music library. So that's what I want to hear in between segments. That's what I want to hear on your intro and outro. I don't want to hear a fucking ad. So many podcasts are starting with ads. I've been taking my headphones out. And I'm sorry to all your nice fucking fancy ads that you're creating that are so awesome and so brilliant and polished. Or your ads that you fucking have on there that belong to one of your friends that you're not even paying for. Whatever. I hate them. I can't handle it. I don't watch TV so that I can stay sane away from advertising because I know how sane I sound right now, right? Don't you want a little piece of this? But yeah. You're starting to sound a little like James, our favorite environmentalist. Yeah. Or John Torrance, man. Or you know him as Jack. Yeah, there you go. Anyway. Um, so fuck advertising. I've always, I've always been a, a big fucking fuck advertising. And that's why we don't have sponsors. That's why we don't have a fucking Patreon. Um, and it's why I don't really like to listen to that many podcasts with advertising, but so many of them do now. And it's unavoidable because I enjoy their content and I enjoy their personalities. I might even know them and enjoy them as people, but I can't listen to that fucking shit. So I just don't. Okay. I just don't. I used to press the skip button most of the time, but that's even too much exposure to the advertising for me. On the other side of the coin, a lot of podcasts do rely on this stuff and you can't spell demonetize without demonize and everyone's kind of freaking out about patreon you can thank us for not being patreon members patreon is changing their their pay structure so it's going to cost people that use that that support shows via patreon a little bit more a lot of i think itunes is the major culprit a lot of reporting services reporting back to advertisers how many clicks shows are getting are reporting more accurately which means they're reporting less downloads which means podcasters are making less money you know it's sad whatever i personally don't really care because i just listen for the content i don't i support only one show i support this is horror with money that's the only one i support through patreon because i fucking love their content and the world needs their content I'll continue to support them and I'll even support them at a higher fucking level too in years to come. I'll buy their shirts. I might buy a faculty of horror shirt someday, but I also 
support them by listening to them and by telling people to listen to them, telling people all the time, sharing it, retweeting it, because that's the bigger support, I think. And that's the most important word, word of mouth is is undeniably the best way that podcasts get advertised. I support Bind Torture Cast, not only because I have a relationship with Chris, a marital relationship with Chris now for those who've just clued in. Yeah, she got um, married, gang. Yeah. Um, but I've always been a huge supporter of Bind Torture Cast and shared almost every episode and doubly shared episodes that were important to me. And, you know, I really fucking like that show. They don't need money. They don't ask for money. Just like us. We don't ask for money necessarily. I ask for money. Hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, we have a donation button. Yeah. So we're immune to a lot of these troubles that are going on. And I can understand it from both sides. I really can. But it's so much more important not to vote so much with your wallet, but vote with your voice and tell people about shows you appreciate. Whether you can support them, whether you're tied up in this podcast problem, whether you're tied up in this demonetization problems on YouTube that people are having, mm -hmm. still appreciate the fucking shows you listen to, share the shows you listen to. It's not even about interactivity on social media. Just fucking continue to listen to shows that you appreciate. If a show is 90% ads, fuck, what kind of content are you honestly getting from that fucking show to begin with? Listen to shows that really deserve that and really work hard on your content. Reach a little farther than the top 10 on fucking iTunes and research and find new shows. And this fucking big rant has been brought to you by like, oh my God, I hate advertising. I know you hate advertising. Um, I don't hate advertising. I, I, it doesn't bother me at all. But, like, again, that is, like, one of the fundamental differences between you and I, right? I'm a huckster shill. You are. You're a whore. Yeah. Straight I, up. I would do anything if you threw money at me. I was in radio. That's just how – that's just the name of the game. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, – but, no, no, I, I, I agree that uh, supporting the things that you like and however you feel it's important – to support things. One of the things that I always worry about when there's a financial way to support something in a non-financial way is because of the fact that we're all a bunch of uh, capitalist pigs, it means that we put more value on monetary support. So if you think to yourself, oh, I can't afford to, you know, because if you can't afford to support something, by all means, don't support it. I would feel awful awful if anyone ever gave me a dime for anything that couldn't afford it uh, because yeah, I, I'm fine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the cost of the show is the cost of the show. You know, when we're talking about hosting fees and, and all that kind of stuff, it, it, you know, it's something that I do willingly and I do knowingly and I do happily because I like to do this stuff. You know, when it comes to stuff like Patreon, I've looked into it, but I, my issue with Patreon is you tend to end up working for Patreon, not the the company but you tend to really have to put in a lot of extra stuff to make it worthwhile and and i suppose i could just put up a patreon and say you know if you want to support splatter pictures give me a monthly donation of a dollar or whatever and but then i would feel bad about myself because i feel as though well dead air and panels of blood is not enough that i would need to do more yeah and and uh and and even though we got a, a, a Teresa coming and you guys are going to love that book i'm sure uh, to the website, I would still feel, oh, there needs to be something else. And I'd be riddled with guilt, riddled with guilt. And, uh, 
Well, then you're almost trapped into wanting it to replace your day job, which is a a position that a lot of creators have put themselves in or wanted to be in. They Mm -hmm. wanted the podcast to replace their job and have it be their job. And there are really successful shows that I do listen to. I don't support them money-wise, and I take my headphones out of my ears when their ads play. But I'd say Generation Y is a really good example of that. I fucking love that show. Mm. I don't pay them money. Yeah. If the show goes away, if they decide that people aren't paying them enough and the show ever goes away, which it probably never will because they seem like pretty fucking sold on, on creating their show, you know, I wouldn't shed a tear. Just like other shows that aren't asking for money from people, if they disappear, you can't shed a tear because that's their own choice. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that they were doing. So mm-hmm. I've never understood why people complain when shows are canceled. Mm-hmm. The show's over, whatever. Or if the, sh- the story arc finishes and people want more, sorry. You're out of luck. You know, things end. That's what happens. But um, for everyone to be all up in arms about this Patreon changes, the changes to reporting, it seems like the listener is being told, you need to pay us. And and being vilified for not protecting the creators in some way, which is just mm. a fucking strange position to put listeners in, I think. But, yeah. We don't necessarily have a donate button to join that club. We're not looking to replace our day jobs with dead air. I set up a donation button on the website initially. When I first started making stuff for spotterpictures.net, I was a part-time worker. I, I, I got really fucked over by union rules about my seniority versus how many hours I was able to get. And so watching movies, I used to watch a lot of stuff off of YouTube I would torrent things and then other times I would have to, I was really trying to not do that because it is theft and I wanted to make sure that I was contributing to the things that I liked, not just having things. I do like having things. I'm pretty materialistic, but sometimes when I was in a position of holding a movie in my hand that cost five to $10 because I would use, I was very good at finding deals it would be a, a position of I want to make that I want to watch this so I can make something with this on my website because that makes me happy. But if I buy this for ten dollars, what do I not do? do? Do I not eat my do I not eat lunch today? Do I not do that? And so I set up the the donate button as a way to help me out, especially if people were interested in doing specific films. That's how come also I'm very encouraging of you want to send us the movie, either a a link to a screener that you have or whatever. Uh, And also why I used to reach out to a lot of independent filmmakers because they usually would send you their films for advertising, at least ad copies of it and and, and shit like that. You know, as my life has progressed, because I mean, I started Spotter Pictures seven years ago almost at this point, you know, my life has improved and I have a better uh, position at my work now and I make a living wage. And so, but, but still as the, the website goes on, you know, costs increase because as they are wont to do and people have been incredibly generous over the years. Uh, and, and as I've always promised a hundred percent of everything that you give me, it's in its own separate little PayPal account. And I make sure that all of that goes towards making sure that we can pay our bills and making sure that uh, special movie reviews that you guys want us to do, that's where that cost goes. Not every movie I buy, because I feel like that's unfair if I'm just like willy-nilly buying movies off of Amazon <laughs> with, with PayPal or eBay and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it's, it's uh, you know, if this movie is requested, I want to make sure that I have money for the specifically requested movies. Uh, and then I have like, a, you know, and then I use my regular money 
to to buy things that are for me that we may also use for a show because that helps me out. And that's probably the bulk of the movies that we've watched are just movies that we've bought because we wanted them ourselves, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we did uh, not the burning of uh, the innocence. The Innocence. That was one that definitely came out of the coffer. At least I hope it did. No, yeah, it did. And Burnt Offerings. That was, was it? Okay. The Burnt Offerings was one that, woof, that was a fucking expensive Blu-ray. I was really surprised. The DVD was even more expensive because it's out of print. And apparently it was like a shitty copy. But they're like, no, yeah, $235 for this DVD if you want it. I'm waiting to see if that's going to happen to the Scream Factory Terror Train that I own because they've lost the rights to it. Yeah. And so it's officially out of print. And so that's going to fucking skyrocket. What a fucking shit, I think. I think that is the biggest racket. You want to talk rackets. You want to talk demonetization and demonization. Mm-hmm. The, the fucking racket for Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Really. But, you know, that said... We should be mentioning alongside a lot of our wrap-up stuff or in the top of the show, which has now become... We, we had a, a little magazine going on here, right? <laughs> um, we should be mentioning the, the donate button because if everyone's going to be fucking shilling constantly or harping on their listeners about uh, go complain to Patreon if you don't like the way that they've changed their terms. And it's like, you know, terms change. Mm-hmm. This is the year 2017 and it's a fucking post-industrial e-commerce situation that we've backed ourselves into so shit like that's gonna happen you can't go complaining and and getting up in arms or vilifying one faction or the other but we do have a donate button if you choose to use it true yeah and you know it's a lot better than patreon because we're not racking our brains trying to shove shit down your throat that's like mm. outtakes that was the only thing that both of us keep thinking of and was, i mean that was what i was thinking about because I, I didn't know um you know i i definitely have plans in 2018 to be doing uh some interviews uh but i was like but then i'd be like that could be exclusive but i was like that's bullshit like i want i don't want someone to have to pay for that no uh, exactly like, you know what i'm saying like 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 i just i the only reason why i would make it is so people listen to it and why would i have give it to less of an audience or you know you're doing it because you have an opportunity and want to that's really all that it should ever take really um but if anyone has any ideas of shit they want to hear on the show movies that you want us to cover um if you want to hear those 20 some minutes of outtakes that i've saved for no reason Mm -hmm. because they're not being saved for any sort of like monetary gain they're Mm -hmm. being saved originally for chris to laugh at and Mm -hmm. for wes to giggle over Mm -hmm. uh if anyone wants to hear those let us know i have a few from the old days because i used to very aggressively cut our content yeah when i thought no one cares about our fucking stupid lives like there was one funny one where i was talking about having a crush on some girl from Australia. And uh, I cut that out. I was actually, part of it was cutting it out. And because I was like, this is a waste of everyone's time. So the second reason I cut it out, because I was kind of worried that one day she might hear it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't live with myself. Uh, but um, yeah, so I could, like dumb shit like that. But, who, but like, I don't know. If people want that shit, I would also feel better. It's like, pay money. Pay money for that? In your mind? <laughs> is it worth it? You ever fucking your mind? And especially like for something like Panels of Blood, that shit's gone. Like, you want to hear, like, my first run at trying to do a voice for a character? Sorry, guys. It's deleted. It's fucking deleted. Yeah. I don't have the fucking time to, like, yeah, I'm going to archive this for what? Like, after I die, you can all, like, listen to it? Because fucking... you're so stoned on yourself. That's oh, my why. God. That's You'd why. fucking think with how much I fucking talk. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. 
Speaking of how much you fucking talk. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>